It's a distraction that has kept many people from truly loving God. And this distraction is the church. Furthermore, churches don't experience revival and Christians don't grow spiritually because they have what's called a Sunday morning religion. They don't read their Bibles apart from church and they don't really know how to pray, much less pray effectively. And they think that if they just show up to church, maybe if they start coming to life groups too, if they'll only check the box, they will be fulfilling their duty to God. But in reality, people that live like that are showing that they have really not learned what it means to truly fall in love with God. And in my humble opinion, the only way to reverse this trend is for people, for Christians, for the church to start focusing on their personal relationship with Jesus Christ and not focusing so much on religion and their duty to God. When people begin to understand the great lengths that God went to in order to have and to lock in this love relationship with people, I believe when that truly happens, it will radically change their lives. So our goal as a church is not to come and sing the songs and pray the prayers and preach the sermons. Our goal is not just to come here and go home unchanged. Our goal is not to come here and go home unchallenged. No, our goal is to come together to worship God Almighty and listen to this, to have our spiritual perspective changed to have our spiritual perspective so changed that it will change the world by the lives you live and by the gospel you share. But to accomplish this seemingly monumental task, we will need to get out of our comfort zone and enter into the battle zone. Now, you've heard it said that everybody worships something. Sadly, there are many people in the world today that are not only worshiping the false gods, Buddha and Allah and Mother Nature, but they're also worshiping the false gods of prosperity, the false gods of sex, the false gods of the almighty dollar. Even an atheist who claims that he worships no God, is lying. When an atheist is thankful for what he has, whom does he thank? He 
He has no one to thank except himself. And therefore the atheist has become his own God. Now in our passage this morning, we're going to be introduced to a couple of characters. And they are characters indeed. The first character that I want to introduce you to is a man named Ahab. Ahab was the most wicked king ever to rule over the nation of Israel, he, for, to ever rule over God's people. And from the time of David to King Ahab, the family of Israel went down this slippery slope, and I mean fast. David's son Solomon had taken many foreign wives, and those foreign wives worshipped a, a host of false gods. And this false god worship impacted every king of Israel that followed Ahab and followed David. But I want you to notice what God's word says about this king named Ahab. On page 321, and the Bible's in front of you, in 1 Kings chapter 16, I'm going to begin sharing in verse 29. In verse 29, the scriptures tell us that in the 38th year of Asa, the king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, had become king over Israel. Here's what happened. You had the nation of Israel had been split, right? There was now the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. Asa, the king of Judah, Ahab, the king of Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, ruled over Israel in Samaria for 20 years. Two years. Now get this. The most wicked king that God's people had ever known was permitted by God to lead that nation for 22 years. Makes you wonder what God was thinking. Amen? In verse 30, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel. Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went, Ahab, went and served Baal and worshipped him. There Ahab set up an altar for Baal, the false god, and in the temple of Baal that Ahab built, which he had built in Samaria. So he set up an altar, he built Baal a temple. Now this is the, the king over God's people I'm talking about, right? And then he, he wasn't done yet. He had to blaspheme God a bit more. In verse 33, Ahab made a wooden image of Baal. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So, Ahab, this dreadfully wicked king, thought it would be a good political move for him to marry Jezebel, who worshipped Baal, the so-called god of rain. And when Jezebel came to Israel and married Ahab, guess what she brought with her? 
Baal. That's right. The so-called God of rain. She brought her false god, hoping to bring rain. But then in the midst of this evil reign of Ahab, God's prophet, God's man, came. His name was Elijah, shows up. And the first thing that Elijah says to King Ahab appears in chapter 17, verse 1. And here's what he said. Elijah said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I stand and in whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain for the next few years except, as my, except at my word. So Ahab went to marry Jezebel. Jezebel brought her false god, the god of rain. But Elijah said, hey, there ain't going to be rain for three and a half years at my word. So as Elijah is prophesying, preaching about uh, the coming drought on Israel, you and I can see three ways, three ways that Elijah got out of his comfort zone and entered into the battle zone. And friends, if you and I will follow Elijah's example, maybe you and I can get out of our comfort zone. Maybe you and I will have the courage and the wherewithal to enter into the battle zone for our churches and for our nation and for all Christians. Maybe if we will follow Elijah's example, you and I can enjoy revival right here at Bethel Baptist Church. Perhaps you and I can make a difference in this community in which we live in and ultimately the nation we live in. So first, I want you to notice that Elijah made a profession. Elijah professed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, as he lives. Now what you need to know about Elijah is that his name means, my God is Lord. That's what the name Elijah means. And Elijah was a messenger sent by God. Now friends, a small time prophet from Tishbe has no clout in Samaria, and he especially has no clout before the king and queen of Israel. It would be like me going to Washington, D.C. to visit President Trump. How far would I get? I'd get about as far as the front gate, amen? I mean, can you imagine me going and knocking on the front gate and telling the Secret Service, my name is Bill Barlow, and I'm the pastor at Bethel Baptist Church, and I've got a message. i got a message for the president. What would they do before or after they locked me up? Amen? See, there's no way I'd get in. Why wouldn't I get in? Because I ain't got no clout at the White House. No, nobody in the White House, no Brother Bill. Amen? So how did small town, small time Elijah get an audience with the king and queen of Israel? Well, first of all, he was sent by God. He was sent by God. He had a message from God. Uh, he was ordained by God. He was obedient to God. And that's how he made it into the presence of the king. Elijah was a man of God with a message of God on mission with God who went in the strength and in the might of God. Now, friends, I'll tell you this. If you and I will follow God's will like Elijah did, God will do extraordinary things in our midst. If you and I will follow individually, follow the will of God, 
then he will do extraordinary things in our lives, in the life of our family, in our, the life of our church that will prove his power. But don't you expect God to prove his power in your life when you are unwilling to follow his will for your life. Now, we also, I want to bring to your attention again what Elijah professed. He said, the Lord God of Israel lives. He lives. Friends, if God is alive, then King Ahab's got a whole lot of trouble, amen? You know, the world needs to see our lives changed by the power of God. The world needs to see our lives changed by the fact that God is not a God of the dead. God is a God of the living. You and I, amen? And we need to be about God's business of professing this truth that God changes and God blesses our lives today, not just after we go to heaven. God is a God of the living. Amen? So we've got to get out of our comfort zone and we've got to enter into the battle zone. Not only did Elijah make this profession, but he also took a position. And this is something you and I can do. The Bible says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, before whom I serve. You see, Elijah had a burden. Elijah was carrying a burden. He was a servant, and in order to be a servant, you've got to have a burden. If you ain't got no burden for the things of God, guess what you won't do? You won't serve God. If you don't have a burden for the things of God, guess what you won't do? You won't take a stand for God when the time comes. It's like when a person loses a loved one to a disease or something, and they vow, we're going to start a campaign, and we're going to raise money, we're going to raise awareness, so that what they went through and what their loved one went through, they won't have to, for the cause. So because of their loss, because of their pain, they've got this burden, y'all. They've got a burden to help others. It's a burden to try and to prevent other people from going through what they had to go through. It's a burden to try and prevent other people from going through what their loved one had to endure. But you know, it's just too easy. It's too easy for you and I to forget all that God has done in our life. I think it's just too easy for us not to consider those who are without Christ and what they're going through in this life. How many people have said, how many people have heard, I don't know how people do it without knowing God. Amen? I've heard that a hundred times. It's just too easy for us not to remember what those without Christ are going through in this life, but also what they're going to go through in eternal life. We forget that, and therefore we have no burden for them. So brothers and sisters, let's pray. Let's pray that you and I will have a burden for the lost. Can we do that? Let's pray. I believe that revival depends on it. If you don't have a burden for the lost, revival ain't never going to come here. So let's pray, amen? Let's pray right now that we'll have a burden for the lost, okay? Father in heaven, your people gather before you this morning. Lord, we're asking for a heavy burden for lost people. Every person in this room knows someone in their family know someone at work, know someone in their neighborhood 
that doesn't know you through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that our burden would become so heavy that we would do like Elijah did and do something about it. Father, help us to speak the glorious truth that Jesus saves. Father, give us that burden, we pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. In his book, Fuzzy Memories, a guy named Jack Handy wrote this. He said, there used to be this bully in my neighborhood who took my, my lunch money every day on the way to school. And so, since I was smaller, I always gave him my lunch money. But then one day I decided, that's it, I'm going to take a stand. That's it, I'm fighting back. And he said, so I decided that I'm going to start taking karate lessons. And then all of a sudden, the karate instructor uh, told me that I had to start paying him $5 a lesson. And so I just went back to paying the bully. Amen? Uh, what, what could that have to do with this message? Well, here's the problem with a lot of Christians. We feel like it's easier to pay the bully than we do to learn how to defeat him. Friend, don't pay the bully. Learn how to defeat the enemy of God. So Elijah didn't go to Samaria, to Ahab and to Jezebel because he was just bored. He didn't say, oh, I think I'll go down and deeply offend the king and queen and try to live to see another day. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Uh, at least I won't be bored. No, Elijah left his home. Elijah left his family. Elijah left his community. And Elijah left his comfortable life for one reason. Why? He had a burden for God. He had a burden for the things of God. He had watched his own country, led by the king and queen, turn to false gods to the point where it turned his stomach. And so Elijah heard the call of God. And he said, that's it. I'm going to go and I'm going to do something about that. Friend, when that person's name in your life when that person's name in your family, at your workplace, in your community, when that name comes to your mind, I pray that you will hear the call of God on your life and that you will go and you'll do something about it. You tell them about the Savior that saved your soul. Now I've heard many people say, well, I'm just going to live a silent Christian witness. And I believe that, yeah, you can say, I'm just going to let people see Jesus in me. And I believe that you should. I believe that you ought to live out your faith and everything that you do. But friends, too many Christians are going to extremes and they don't back up their faith with a verbal testimony. Too many Christians don't tell others what they did in order to be saved. What they did to come to Christ. They just don't tell other people. That's the incredible blessing of this redemption story that I've been harping on for months. It's a verbal testimony of what you can do. It's a verbal testimony when you share the gospel good news. And I believe we're called to not only live it, but we're called to speak about it as well. I mean, consider this. To be an effective witness, which we're all called to be a witness. Would you agree with that? Say amen. We're all called to be an effective witness. If you're going to be an effective witness, then you're going to need two things. 
You're going to need credibility in your life, and you're going to need accountability. That is what you speak. Think about this in a court of law. The effective witness is the one who speaks about what he or she has heard and seen. Amen? Speaks. So what if I took the stand, but I answered no questions, and I gave no testimony? What would they call me? They'd call me a bad witness. Why? Because I wouldn't speak about what I've seen and what I've heard. Friends, Jesus wasn't crucified off in some corner somewhere. He wasn't crucified where no one could see. No, he was crucified in public. And that was a place where everybody could see and everybody could know what he's done for us. He spoke the truth in private, but he spoke to the masses in public. He spoke in private like to our family, but he also spoke to the public like maybe on social media like we do with our redemption stories, right? We've got to do both. Not, it's not either or, it's both and. And in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That denying ourselves and taking up our cross, that's getting out of our comfort zone, amen? The following me, that's the battle zone. And Jesus calls us to do both. Deny yourself and take up your cross and then get into the battle zone, following him in ministry. So, friend, it's high time. It's high time for us to get out of our comfort zone and enter into the battle zone and do what Jesus told us to do. What did he tell us to do? He said, come up, fess up, take up, and follow up. Be what I've called you to be. And then and only then, friend, can you take the position as Christ's disciple. If you just deny yourself and take up your cross, but you don't follow Christ, you're not his disciple. If you try to follow him, but you do not, not deny yourself, you do not deny or you do not take up the cross, turning your back on sin, then you're not becoming a disciple. So we've got to come after him, we've got to put him first, Take up our cross and follow him and become the public demonstration of what Christ has done for us. So, like Elijah, I believe that you and I ought to take the position of a servant who will take a stand for God. I think that Christians trivialize that too much. And there are some pretty harsh repercussions for those that refuse to take a stand for God. So like, for like Elijah, we're called to make a profession. We're also called to take this position, taking a stand for God. But Elijah also spoke a prayer. He said, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. Now, in speaking about the power of prayer, James wrote in James 5.17 that Elijah was just a man like us. He was a man just like us, but he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. See, now Elijah not only put his life on the line, Elijah also put his faith on the line, believing that God would do what he said he was going to do. Now, 
How was Elijah able to control the weather? How was, could he uh, control the rain? How could he stop the rain for three and a half years? Well, listen, Elijah had no control over the weather. But the one that controlled the weather was controlling Elijah. Amen? The one that controls the weather is controlling you. So how did Elijah have the guts? How did he have the guts to go off and threaten the king this way? Well, Elijah's willingness and his courage was a byproduct of his prayer life. Where are you going to get the courage to share your redemption story? Friend, have you even prayed about it yet? Where are you going to get the willingness to share with that family member or that co-worker about Jesus? Where are you going to get that? Have you even prayed about it? Because let me tell you, when you get a burden for that person, when you get a burden for lost people, you're going to start praying about it. So if you're not praying about it, you ain't got no burden. Amen? If I don't have a burden, if I'm not praying for the lost people, if I'm not praying for the people that are lost in my circle of influence, I ain't got no burden. And I have to question, am I even a disciple? Or do I have just this Sunday morning religion? Elijah fought the battle on his knees. He fought the battle on his knees, and he, listen to this. He actually prayed for national disaster. Now, I don't know which one of y'all prayed for COVID-19, but y'all can ease up on that, amen? Enough's enough. But he prayed that there would be a national disaster. He prayed that there would be a drought. Can you even imagine it not raining for three and a half years? Lord, we'd be whining every single Sunday and every day in between. If we go just a few months, we're devastated. Oh, man, all the crops are dried up. Can you imagine it being three and a half years? But here's what Elijah was doing. Elijah was praying that everyone in the nation would become as uncomfortable physically as he had become spiritually. All these false gods and all this false worship and this altar and this temple set up for the, the false god Baal. That just turned Elijah's stomach. And so he prayed for something that would upend everybody's apple cart. But have you ever noticed how you and I pray? You and I pray normally for our own comforts. I pray for my home. I pray for good health. I pray for the wealth to pay my bills. And those things seem to dominate a lot of people's prayer life. And when these things dominate our prayer life, here's what happens. Your focus goes off of God and it turns on to yourself. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you and I to focus squarely on self. The enemy wants you and I to make self our number one concern. And here's why. The reason the enemy wants you to be praying exclusively for self as your number one concern it's because he knows that when you do, you are one trial away from being mistreated by everyone. When you make self your number one concern, the enemy knows 
that you are one trial away by of being mistreated by God. He knows that when you make self your number one concern, that the world is going to become a miserable place for you to live. When self becomes the number one concern, the enemy knows that life is going to become a painful existence. And all that brings pleasure to the enemy of God. But what does God want? God wants all of our faith. He wants all of our trust to be exclusively in him. And listen, y'all, it's not necessarily how much faith you have. It's how much of the faith you have are you placing in God. We know it only takes a mustard seed. Sometimes that's all people have got is a mustard seed. And what Jesus says is, you know that mustard seed that you got left? I want you to trust me. I want you to put your faith in me. I want you to take that mustard seed and I want you to put it in me. Do you trust him today? In every facet of your life, in every nook and cranny of your life, do you trust God today? So what kind of people is God going to use to bring revival? What kind of of people is God going to use for his glory to bring revival to Bethel and to our nation? Well, obviously, the first thing is, is that he's going to use those who are willing to get out of the comfort zone and get into the battle zone. That's our biggest problem. We won't forsake ourselves and take up our cross, and we certainly ain't going to follow him into the battle zone. So that, that's obvious. But here are three things that God is looking for in the person that he wants to use to bring revival. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Number one, he wants to use people who are obedient. People who have had it up to here with excuses. People who are sick and tired of making excuses for why they don't serve God, why they don't profess God, and why they don't stand up for God going to use people who are obedient. But he's also going to use those who are willing to get involved in the battle. Those that are willing to take a stand. To put up a fight. Those that are willing, friend, to realize that the best ability is availability. And thirdly, God's going to use those who pray beyond their convenience to bring revival to this church and to the United States of America. One study revealed that less than 10%, less than 10% of all Christians were found to be committed to the point where they actively serve in their church, where they daily study their Bibles, and where they were willing to pray consistently and persistently for revival. But here's the good news. Of that committed 10%, the study found that those 10% were the happiest. It was those who were getting involved in the church, 
It was those who were actively serving, those that were daily studying the Word of God. It was those who were actively praying for revival that were the happiest in that study. So friend, are you among the 10%? Are you among the 10% that God will use to bring revival? Friend, are you among the 10% who will actively serve, be obedient, get involved, and pray beyond your convenience? Friend, are, are you one of those that want to be in that 10%? Do you strive to be obedient, to, to kill the excuses do you strive to get involved in what God is doing in his church? Are you one of the ones that are willing to pray more than God even asks you to? Well, if you aren't among the 10%, I pray you'd want to be. But here's something that's probably going to take. It's probably going to take you getting out of your comfort zone and entering into the battle zone. Friend, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know anything about this battle, I encourage you that by faith, you get out of your sinful comfort zone and come and let Jesus take over and lead you into the battle zone. He'll do it for his glory, mind you, but the blessings will come to you. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you that we have even been invited to come to the battle. But, Lord, we are fully aware, as Elijah was, that, Lord, we got to get out of our comfort zone. We've got to get out of where it's easy, easy, easy all the time and be willing to take a bold stand and get into the battle zone. Father, I pray for all my friends that are here today, Father, that, that they would know that they have a relationship with you through Christ. And, Lord, if they don't, they take a stand today. Take a stand and take a step. A step of faith. And Lord, you would lead us the rest of the way. Father, for those that have been Christians for ages, Father, it's so easy. That's one of the distractions is we get comfortable. We get comfortable and we turn our relationship with you into a Sunday morning religion. Lord, let it not be so. Let it not be like that. Lord, let us have the courage to get out of our comfort zone and follow you into the battle zone. Lord, we'll do it for your glory and to praise our leader, Jesus Christ. And we'll do it filled with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.